It's January 16th, 2007. Midnight hits, and the world changes. The heroes of Azeroth await in mass at the Dark Portal, located at the center of a constantly smoldering crater in a place called the Blasted Lands. However, it wasn't always called that. Once a murky swamp with one way in and one way out via the Swamp of Sorrows, the Black Morass was changed forever when the Dark Portal opened, sending the orcish horde of Draenor through to Azeroth. The exchange of energies that came from the opening of the portal was so violent and cataclysmic that it destroyed the entire area, drying the swamps, infecting what flora and fauna that lived with magical demonic energies, and killed anyone within range of the blast, leaving their ghosts to forever haunt these tormented, blasted lands. And on this cold night in January is where players on every server of World of Warcraft found themselves awaiting the release of the game's first expansion, The Burning Crusade. And this expansion was a big damn deal. Maybe even the biggest DLC release for a game ever. At this point, WoW was the game your favorite gamers played. The promised RPG of myth that was ever-changing and a cultural movement that connected the mainstream with nerd culture in ways never before really seen. And then Midnight struck, and the adventurers of the Alliance and the Horde floored through the Dark Portal and... potentially saw nothing. You see, it had been nearly three years since the launch of Vanilla WoW, and with that wait came a hunger for new content, mechanics, and quality of life changes. Never before had so many players at once all flooded to a new expansion. If you think the launch of Vanilla WoW, or Classic, or Wrath, or even Dragonflight was bad, then you truly did not experience what referred to internally by Blizzard devs was the Hellfire Peninsula issue. The ultimate bottleneck with millions of players all attempting to load into the same spot all across every single server. And this is why expansions going forward had multiple landing points, like in Wrath with Borean Tundra and the Howling Fjord. Eventually, the problem sorted itself out as players moved out into the zones of Outland, but the flood of players highlighted the need and importance of this expansion to the history and the longevity of World of Warcraft overall. Like, Burning Crusade was important. And that's why I welcome you to Season 4 of Essence of Azeroth, which will attempt to cover the great expanse of information, lore, and content that is the Burning Crusade. In my opinion, the most important expansion in WoW's history, not only for the players of WoW, but in regards to the lore and making connections to World of Warcraft at the time, but also the overall canon of Warcraft. It's safe to say that Illidan Stormrage is the most popular character in Warcraft canon, or at least in the top three. And his lack of mention throughout Vanilla WoW seemed to point towards him being the focus of an expansion sooner or later. But Illidan is just one aspect of Burning Crusade, with a real throughline being built throughout the expansion via multiple characters, perspectives, factions, and more. Through this season, we'll explore the main stories of Burning Crusade, the locations, factions, the characters, the raids, of course, 
and what the ultimate legacy of Burning Crusade is going to be seen as. However, today on Essence of Azeroth, we're going to be talking about the Dark Portal, the return of the Burning Legion, the origins of the Burning Legion through Sargeras, and the destruction of Draenor leading to the creation of the Outlands, some of the factions at work, and where the game world stood upon the release of Burning Crusade. It is time to track Illidan from the Dark Portal all the way through to the Black Temple and beyond. This is Essence of Azeroth. This new season of Essence of Azeroth and today's episode is brought to you by the generous contributors and subscribers of Essence of Azeroth on our Patreon, including Otto, Brooke, Melissa, Daniel, Bergen, Kelly, Jeff, and Josh. Consider giving to the podcast monthly and see where we're going to take this strange season. Um, this is going to be kind of a, a new experience for this show and a real challenge as a content creator focusing on one singular topic for so long. Um, so we're going to see where it goes and you can help support that over at patreon.com forward slash essence of Azeroth. And now if you're lucky, a short word from our sponsors. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Imprisoned for ten thousand years. Banished from my own homeland. And now you dare enter my realm. prepared well he's right we are not prepared the burning crusade had the unenviable task of connecting decades of lore and also giving life to some pieces of canon that up to then had merely been references to past events and like the best stories it's not simply one thing that brought the players of wow to the dark portal and to the outlands and it's also not as simple as the hunt for illidan storm rage the story of the burning crusade is also the story of vengeance for the blood elves for the fall of silvermoon and the death of sylvanas windrunner the remnants of the Night Elves who were tricked by the sorcerer Azara, the escape of a persecuted peoples in the Draenei to a new world, and the destruction of a once pristine planet now sitting as a broken husk, but also as perhaps the most important location in the Warcraft universe up until the end of Legion. 
We could pluck at any one of these threads as the start of our look into the Burning Crusade, but to really get an idea of how far back the story goes, we have to start with the Titans. <laughs> More specifically, Sargeras, a name that up until Legion was mostly just said in hushed tones. In the beginning was the Pantheon, the first Titans led by Amonthul, who took it upon themselves to nurture and grow the planet-incubated world souls of the Great Dark. This pantheon included Sargeras, the greatest warrior of the Titans and known as the Defender. Like the rest of his ilk, he was considered purely altruistic and unable to comprehend acting in evil or the act of evil, which is what set Sargeras off into the unexplored regions of the Great Dark to fight a growing but uncoordinated invasion of demons coming from the Twisted Nether and wielding the power of the Void. It was at this point that Sargeras felt as though there was some other greater evil force at work, which we now know is in reference most likely to the Void Lords, the antithesis of the Light, counterbalance to the Naru, and one of the last major villains that WoW players have truly yet to face, but as I keep saying, is going to come up sooner rather than later. It was at this point that Sargeras made a startling discovery. The demons could not truly be killed. No matter how many incursions the Defender destroyed, their souls always returned to the Twisting Nether, waiting to be reborn. This further drove Sargeras into his new obsession, desperately attempting to find a way to stop this evil, and, along with the help of another titan, Agrimar, constructed the prison planet of Mardoom. This would become a jail for all demons, and for a while, Sargeras' plan worked. The demon invasion seemed to be quelled. And you may remember Mardoom because it is also where the Demon Hunter class starts the game. But it could be argued that Sargeras was already being affected by his drive to end the demons at any cost. He'd begun to use fell energy himself in his quest to stop the demons, deploying doom guards as almost bloodhounds for sniffing out the sacrificial magic that powered the fell armies. It was here that Sargeras was led to a corrupted planet led by the Nathrezim and learned the truth about the Void Lords, that they had sent their influence out into the entire cosmos to infect other world soul planets, so that when these planets matured as the Titans once did, it would create an evil, twisted creature, a dark Titan. Enraged, Sargeras cleaved this old god-infested world of demons in two, and went back to his siblings to report his findings, while also coming to a conclusion. That purging the universe was the only way to protect it from the widespread corruption. The Pantheon was critical of this Scorched Earth campaign and horrified that Sargeras had killed a world soul without even attempting to purge the corruption. However, Sargeras had made up his mind. Corruption was not to be trifled with, and the only option was complete eradication. He left the Pantheon, never to return as a friend, and spent eons in the Great Dark coming to a conclusion. The only option was to save the universe from ever potentially becoming corrupted by eradicating it, smothering life in its crib to save it the horror that surely awaited. 
And so Sargeras went back to his prison planet of Mardum and cracked it in half, releasing the demonic wave of energy and monsters out into the universe. The energy that exploded corrupted Sargeras and created a great emerald fire in the void. The Burning Crusade was born. The former paragon of the Pantheon now waged war against the thing he once sought to protect at any cost, and in many ways he felt he was still protecting. His new philosophy was simple, either join the, his burning crusade or be destroyed. And so the demon hordes joined Sargeras, gaining power and intelligence beyond measure thanks to his empowerment. This also became part of Sargeras' M.O. as he moved from world to world and corrupted them from the inside, stealing the best and brightest with power beyond measure and corrupting it at its core, wrecking societies, turning friend against friend, and eventually leading to complete annihilation. And so the Burning Crusade grew until Sargeras came across a powerful world soul, Argus a planet filled with arcane magic wielders beyond measure, and it would be his, one way or another. Argus, in many ways, is the dark potential future of Azeroth. What could happen if the planet is ever fully overrun by the Burning Crusade, and it succeeded in its mission to burninate the planet? Argus was a shining beacon of hope for the universe, a utopia of learned philosophers and magic users all building towards a greater tomorrow. And it's here that we meet the race known as the Eridar, in three names that at this point I think we all know incredibly well, Velen, Kil'jaeden, and Archimonde. The three were part of a ruling power structure of Argus and became instant targets for Sargeras' dark whispers of power and immortality, while also showing them the horror he had wrought on the universe, giving an ultimatum. Join me, or burn. And as we know, Kil'jaeden and Archimonde immediately accept, being twisted and corrupted into the demon monstrosities we see throughout World of Warcraft. However, the prophet Velen had held out, and this was because he had seen the dark corruption awaiting his people and the lie of power that Sargeras offered. But it wasn't enough. The Burning Crusade came for Argus, and Velen began leading a revolt, aided by the sudden contact of yet another spacefaring race, the Naru. If the Void Lords are the embodiment of the dark, then the Naru are somewhat their exact opposite. Beings of pure light created by Elune during the ordering of light and shadow, according to a tome found by Archmage Khadgar, and as also seen in that wonderful Cosmic Order chart from World of Warcraft Chronicles. However, it's important to note here that, as we did in the Theology episode, that just because they are beings of pure light does not mean they are pure good, just as beings of the void are not pure evil. In fact, no creature represents this better than the Naru, as their life cycle goes from light to void and back, best seen in the Sunwell raid boss Muru, turning into a void lord after being corrupted, then being cleansed. There's actually an interesting quote from our old friend and former talking dagger, Zalatoth, saying that the Naru are, quote, "...beloved brethren that lost the true path." Once again, showing that they and the Void Lords are two sides of the same coin. 
However, in a funny roundabout way, even the Void Lords and the Naru could agree on one thing. The Burning Crusade only saw destruction, anti-life. And so the Naru reached out to Velen and provided a means of escape, light travel and spacecrafts able to go great distances. Velen and the uncorrupted Eridar escaped a now-ruined Argus, renaming their people the Draenei, an Eridar word for exiled ones. And the Draenei pledged, pledged themselves to the Naru in a new mission of spanning the cosmos in search of those that would join the Army of the Light to stand up and to stop the Burning Legion. It's actually here that the Draenei people somewhat split up. The Lightforged Draenei, led by the Naru Zera, are formed here, and as we briefly talked about in the past, were very much a by-any-means-necessary means to fighting the Legion. You see some of this forced conversion in the Magar Orc a, 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 a allied race story from the alternate reality Draenor, showcasing once again that light doesn't mean pure good. Sometimes it's a means to an end. And while the Lightforged Draenei went their own way to grow this army of the light, Velen and his Draenei landed on a pristine, calm planet of rolling fields, beautiful vistas, and peace. Draenor. A planet that I think we all know pretty well at this point, having seen it in various forms across two separate expansions. 200 years before Warcraft 1, the Draenei land on Draenor and become friends with the brown-skinned, nomadic, and shamanistic orcs. But Kil'jaeden would never stop searching for his brother and eventually found the location of Draenor. And so he did what the Crusade did best, corrupted the societal core of Draenor, and began a bloody civil war between Orc and Draenei, whispering promises of power to an Orc outcast called Gul'dan, who he himself looked for revenge against an Orc people who he felt treated him poorly. This led to Gul'dan infiltrating the Shadowmoon Orc clan and befriending a powerful shaman named Ner'zhul, and beginning Kil'jaeden's plan of converting the Orcs and leading them to see the Draenei as invaders. Before he realized it, that it was too late, Ner'zhul and the other shamans had found themselves cut off from their elemental power. And this is what kickstarts the formation of the original Horde, with Gul'dan bringing in the orcs and the ogres and their leader Cho'gal, forming schools of necromancy and teaching the warlock magic via the Shadow Council, and also finding a half-orc, half-Draenei orphan named Garona and twisting her into his own tool of assassination. But while this had all been happening, Sargeras had other plans and machinations in place, discovering the location of Azeroth after his slaughter of the Pantheon and finding yet another powerful magic user willing to trade her own people for eternal life, Queen Azjara. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
We haven't talked about the War of the Ancients much on this show because, honestly, it's a lot. One of the biggest stories and through lines in Warcraft, in, and it involves the dragons, the keepers, the titans, the burning legion, druids, mages, trolls, wild gods. Like I said, it's a lot. Ultimately, we only need to know a few things from this period to set the stage for Burning Crusade, some of which we've already looked at, and some of which will be kind of the backdrop to future episodes, like the Karazhan episode. The relationship between Malfurion and Illidan Stormrage sits at the core of the Burning Legion expansion in many ways. Illidan was a headstrong but powerful mage that, much like Sargeras had at one point, thought that victory could only come by pulling out all the stops. And in this case, it means joining the Legion as a double agent to help stop Queen Azjara from summoning Sargeras via the Well of Eternity. And so they did. With the combined forces of Azeroth coming together to detonate the portal that formed at the Well, causing the Sundering, sending Azjara and her followers down into the watery depths, and causing Illidan to commit the act that would give him the name Betrayer. The loss of the Well of Eternity meant the Night Elves lost their immortality, a thing which Illidan attempted to solve, as he not only wanted to bring back his people to prominence and win over the heart of Tyrande Whisperwind, but also as the only way to protect Azeroth from the Burning Legion when they inevitably return, because he saw it as a source of power. And because of this, he took the waters stolen from the OG Well of Eternity, and Illidan scaled the peaks of Mount Hyjal and created a new well. Illidan was rewarded for his actions with imprisonment, sealed within Hyjal for his crimes for what was supposed to be all of eternity, held under the watchful eye under the Wardens and Maeve Shadowsong. The story of Illidan is one of a man whose only path forward was seeming to do whatever it took to gain victory. He gave up his love, his eyes, and his soul, all in the name of trying to find a way to defeat the Burning Legion. It's sort of like that joke from The Simpsons where Homer's barbecued pig is sent flying through the air by Lisa, and he keeps saying, it's just a little airborne, it's still good, it's still good. Illidan is constantly trying to right the wrongs he's brought upon the world with more wrongs. It's also why he ends up being a pretty good patsy for the Legion itself, serving as a temporary means of distraction for the adventurers of Azeroth, while the Crusade continued to try and find ways to Azeroth and finish Sargeras' mission. Of course, what I love about this too, and this is highlighted in the Illidan novel, is that a lot of the uh, forces that are gathering in Outlands, such as the Aldor, the Scryer, the Shatar, they all kind of see Illidan as a really good distraction for the Legion, because it's made very clear that Illidan is not in the good graces of the Legion anymore. He had failed to kill Arthas and Ice Crown Citadel and kind of came back with his tail between his legs and was now number one on the hit list for Kill Jaden Archimond. And all of these groups are kind of gathered in Outland being like, yeah, if those guys want to punch each other, go ahead. It's great. Except for Maiev, who at this point, as you learn in the Illidan novel, has a contingent of night elf wardens and a Draenei army. And is just like, no, we're going to take the Black Temple, all like seven of us. And everybody they come across just constantly tells them like, 
no. Look, they're they're busy over there fighting each other, Illidan and the demons. We're going to let that happen. And Maiev, another character who constantly seems to be like trying to right all of her wrongs, more wrongs, um, is not here for it. And this also all goes to show just how dense the setup is for the Burning Legion and Burning Crusade. Literally all of that I just told you could have been episodes under themselves, because boy, we are nowhere near the full story at this point. This is exactly why this whole season is dedicated to talking about BC. So many plot threads were being pulled at in order to bring this whole story, which in many ways is more of a direct sequel to the Warcraft RTS franchise than Vanilla World of Warcraft is. And we haven't even discussed how the Scourge, Arthas, the Lich King, Medivh, the Blood Elves, the Ashtung Broken, and more all weave into this story of how Illidan Stormrage took over the Outlands, lost sight of the goal, and ended up being toppled by a group of heroes and a jailer looking to right her biggest wrong at any cost. And if you didn't pick up on this already, honestly, I cannot recommend enough the Legion-era novel Illidan, which goes into detail for the years, months, and hours before Illidan got downed at Black Temple. And if you're looking for more detail on that story, please go read it. What I initially thought was just a novel tie-in meant to retcon the Demon Hunter class into WoW, and that is the one thing I don't like about it, because it's kind of doing that thing that the Marvel TV shows always try to do, like, oh, Thor was just here, you just missed him. This book is like, yeah, those Demon Hunters were over there in another courtyard you you couldn't see them don't worry uh you, you couldn't see them during your black temple raid they're they're over there though and i actually think the novel besides that is a fascinating look into how the stories of world of warcraft can be used by uh, taking the in-game world and the in-game story building and just further bolstering it like there's some really cool in references to mag Faradon and, and mag Faradon's lair and they reference raids and it's just it's a very well-constructed book, my quibbles about the Demon Hunter stuff notwithstanding. <laughs> There's all these references to the dungeons and raids of Outland, we get to spend some time with characters that, once Burning Crusade really got rolling, you don't get to hear a whole lot of. The biggest of which is, honestly, Illidan. He's a complicated character in the Warcraft franchise, and if there's a knock against Burning Crusade, it's simply that you don't ever get a chance to learn about why Illidan is doing the things he's doing. This is something I think Blizzard did a great job of fixing up, fixing in Wrath of the Lich King, as it felt like the expansion during that period, like Arthas was along for the ride and haunting you almost the entire time, and you learn about his own journey and what would inevitably be his destruction atop Icecrown Citadel, but you get a full idea of the picture of why Arthas is at where he's at and why he's doing what he's doing. Illidan didn't really get that moment, and it's easy to go through Burning Crusade's content and just think that it's all a bunch of interconnected stories, but there's good reason that the Blood Elves, the Naga, and Orcs are all intertwined in this epic, in the literal sense of the word, kind of story. But ultimately, Burning Crusade is the halfway point of Illidan's story. It's an expansion that tries to tell the story of a guy who thinks he's the smartest and baddest in the room, but ultimately gets dropped on his head due to hubris. If this were the end of Illidan's story and Legion never existed, I think the entire tale would feel incomplete. 
However, as I was finally able to solo Mythic and Taurus this week and see the whole Legion story play out to its conclusion, it paints the picture of a man in Illidan who has always understood that there was no turning back from completing his goal of the eradication of Sargeras. When you clear the raid and you're, and you're given a quest in which Illidan, after deciding to stay at the seat of the Pantheon and serve as Sargeras' jailer for all time, he asks the player to, to deliver two messages, one to his brother and one to Tyrande. However, there's a third message for the player that you hear sitting on the shore of the Well of Eternity in Hyjal, in which Illidan imparts a simple message. There are no half-measures. Success and saving life involves struggle after struggle, and many more were to come for the hero, but that perhaps they are finally, once and for all, prepared. Next time on Essence of Azeroth, join me as we talk about the generals of Illidan's Outland forces, and we take a look at what brought Akama, Kael'thas Stunstrider, and Lady Vaj of the Naga to join the Betrayer, along with some lore on the Tempest Keep and Serpent Shrine Cavern raids. And in two episodes from now, we'll venture into my favorite raid of all time, the ruins of Castle Karazhan, to talk about Medivh, his corruption at the hand of Sargeras, and why the chess event is complete bullshit. And then we'll talk about Gul'dan, the destruction of Draenor, why the Legion wanted Outlands so bad, and take a look at the smaller raids of BC, such as Magtheridon and Gruul's Lair, and so much more. I hope you'll join me for the rest of this season, and I'll say it now, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So get ready, we'll get you all attuned for Black Temple one way or another. Take care. I grow impatient. Who dares address me? <laughs>